But later tonight, church, for our Christmas Eve service, which we'd love for you to come back, we'll be looking, though, there in Luke chapter 2 at that famous account of the, of the shepherds and the angel and, and when Jesus himself is actually born. And that story is beautiful and famous for a reason. And as we're going to see tonight, if you come back, that story even shows us the gospel in itself, the, the good news of salvation in Jesus. And so that's where we're going to be tonight, which is why for this morning, I just thought it would be fitting to just briefly together be in Luke chapter 1 and look at one of the things that happened in preparation for Jesus' coming. And, and in terms of what's here in Luke chapter 1, well, as you might have noticed, Luke chapter 1 is a really long chapter. And in fact, Luke chapter 1, out of all the New Testament chapters, has the most verses, has 80 verses in total. And so, and so there's a lot in here. But as for what we're going to talk about briefly this morning, we're just going to look at the ending here where John the Baptist has just been born, the forerunner to Jesus. He was born as a baby, just like Jesus is going to be born in chapter 2. And because of that, John's dad, his father, Zechariah, prophesies. Prophesies. And you can see that in verse 67. So look with me there as we just start this passage. Look at verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, we'll stop there for now, but therefore, our passage this morning is about Zechariah prophesying, meaning just speaking the very words of God. That's just what prophecy means according to the Bible. But not only that, but as you heard, Luke is clear that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit as he did that, right? The, the very third person of the Trinity of God. Meaning in our passage this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying what we're about to go through, through Zechariah. And I bring that up as we start here this morning because especially hearing that about the Holy Spirit, if you know the Christmas story at all, that should particularly perk our ears up. Because what's so cool about this first chapter even just so far of Luke is that the person of the Holy Spirit, meaning the real third person of the Trinity, he's already been quite important if you think about it. Because remember, as most of us probably know here, in terms of Jesus' miraculous birth, and in terms of how in the world in history Mary could become pregnant with a baby even though she was a virgin, how, how does God's word tell us that that's all actually how, how it worked? Well, Mary is told in Luke 1.35, quote, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, in history, the Holy Spirit is the one who enabled Jesus' miraculous birth. Right? And that makes sense. And that then connects to Zechariah's prophecy here because if you want to think of it this way, so, so the Spirit enabled the virgin birth, of course, but now here we also see the Spirit at work in action. Except now, instead of enabling a pregnancy, now he's enabling Zechariah to prophesy. You see that? In the same chapter. Or to say all of that much more simply, what we see here in our passage is that the very same person of the Spirit who enabled Jesus' conception is here speaking to you and I through Zechariah. Right, both are him. Which means, the question then becomes, well, what does he say? What does the very Spirit of God, who brought about the virgin birth, what does he want us to know as he speaks to us here through Zechariah right before Jesus is born? And briefly, church, that that's what we're going to be looking at together. And to do so, what we're going to see is that, yes, technically here, Zechariah is prophesying because his son, or his son John the Baptist was just born. And yet, even for John the Baptist, 
Just like for you and me in here, John wasn't the main point. Instead, John was a pointer. And so we're going to see the Holy Spirit here talk some about John the Baptist, but mainly to show you and I more about Jesus. But anyway, so, so what does the Holy Spirit say here through Zechariah? Well, a lot in verses 68 through 79, but to boil it all down, there are three things that are talked about here which the Spirit says God is doing in Jesus. Three things. And these three things were true back then when Jesus first came into the world, and they're still true today, and really believing them changes our lives. And so for a brief time together, let's just look at these three things. As for the first... Look with me now at all of verses 68 through 75. 68 through 75. So look at your Bibles. There's a lot of details in here. But this is really the first big thing God did in Jesus. 68 through 75. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has redeemed. He has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So in all that, you might have noticed all that talk about God visiting his people and, and raising up a horn of salvation from the house of David and saving his people from their enemies also that we might serve him without fear. And all of that, you can kind of sense it, is, is, is ruling talk, right? Ruling talk, meaning it's talk of God coming as the king for his people, for us. But, but that's not it, because then also scattered throughout those verses is something else, and it's that God didn't just decide to come and rule, but also, as you've probably heard, the emphasis is that God did this, quote, to show the mercy that he promised and to remember his holy covenant and the oath that he swore. And that's all significant because really bringing that all together then, the picture here isn't that, that, that God just happened to decide around 2,000 years ago to come and reign as king in Jesus. Rather, it's that God specifically planned and promised this way in advance. And so when he came in Jesus to rule, it also shows us that God was doing what he said he would do. And in short, that, that's really then the first thing we see here talked about what God did in Jesus. Jesus came to rule as God promised. Which church is really good news for us because just think about it. When it comes to your and my lives, and we can try to rule ourselves, but, but we all know how that, how that turns out. Or we can try to look to other smaller or temporary fleeting things for guidance or for joy or for security or peace. All things that a good king would secure for his people. But, but the truth is, when we, when we ultimately bank our lives on ourselves or rely on things of this temporary world for that peace and security and love we're all looking for, Things like having a certain amount of, of wealth or, or our careers, even, even good things like being healthy or having a really exceptionally good family, anything like that. If we rely on those, they always let us down. Because those things, nor we ourselves, we, we weren't meant to rule ourselves. We're, we're not wise or powerful or good enough to do that. And basically, all that, therefore, is why God here, deciding to visit, as verse 68 says, this broken world and visit us 
to be our king in Jesus is actually a really good thing for us. And so that's the, the first thing here. God has come in Jesus to rule us as he promised, which is what we do need. Which next leads to the second. And this is now found in just verses 67, 67, 6 and 67. 76 and 77. There's a lot of verses here. And as you see, these verses are going to start with, and you child. And this is talking about John the Baptist here. But still, they're going to be mainly about Jesus. So look down at your Bibles and see verses 76 and 77. And you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. And so as you can see here in verse 76, John the Baptist is called the prophet of the Most High. And his job, incredibly, was to, quote, go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Meaning, amazingly, the Holy Spirit is basically saying, the Lord, God, he's coming, the Most High. And you, John the Baptist, are going to prepare his ways for him. And so that's verse 76. But then in 77, we get to see the second thing that God did in Jesus' coming here. And what is it? Well, it's that God brought, quote, salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins. And now, and now on that, for most of us in this room, Christian or, or maybe not Christian, we, we probably know that forgiveness is kind of Christianity 101. But really, why is that? Right? Why is forgiveness such good news? And, and the answer to that is because if you want to think of it this way, as for who we all are as human beings, there are both things that are wrong with us that need to be forgiven and eventually changed. It's kind of the, the negative aspect of all of us now. But then there's also this positive potential in us, if you want to think of it that way, right? Like, as we're created in the image of God, we all know with abilities to love and create and relate to one another and more. And think of it that way, you can see that's then why God's word often talks about these two things in the gospel. And we've already even seen these talked about this morning, because what did Jesus do? Who is Jesus in reality for his people? Well, as we've already talked about, Jesus is our king. Meaning he's the one who guides us and rules us as we need. And therefore, with all that positive potential of how do we live our lives, will we follow Jesus? <laughs> he's our king and that's the best. But if that's all there was to it, then Christianity would just be another do good enough religion. It would be, hey, follow Jesus, your king, good enough and try to make up for all your wrongs. And sadly, let me just say, that, that's still even what many so-called churches sometimes teach. That they can make Christianity all about rules or man-made traditions that you follow enough to make up for your wrongs. But in the Bible, that's not the gospel. Rather, Christianity, Jesus, is about him totally forgiving and loving and saving us, about us having salvation, as verse 77 says here, and then, because that is totally finished for us by Jesus on the cross, then we are people who can gladly follow him as our king. All because, as this verse says again, Jesus brings salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. All right, so that's the first two big things that are talked about here. Which finally brings us to our third and last. And this is now seen in verses 78 and 79. This is how the prophecy ends. And it's very poetic and beautiful. And it really sets the stage for the whole shepherd night story 
that we're going to see in Luke 2 tonight. And so finally for this morning, church, look down at your Bibles one last time, verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So so first on those verses, let's just not skip past that beautiful beginning of verse 78. And remember, this is the Holy Spirit talking through Zechariah here. And he says that all of this talk of ruling and forgiveness is ultimately, quote, because of the tender mercy of our God. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. And we should, we should each, therefore, look at Christmas that way as, well, as one of the greatest evidences that the living God has tender mercy. Because each one of us probably in here, because of our brokenness and sin, we tend to think of God as this fearful being who we, who we really assume wants nothing to do with small, sinful people like us. But, but church, Christmas, and, and Jesus himself proves the reality that actually God is not only real, but he's a God of tender mercy. And then out of that tender mercy, what else is talked about here? Well, here's a third thing for us to see this morning. It's that in that tender mercy, the rest of those verses, quote, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And now just briefly on those verses, just so you know, that there is a reference to the very last chapter, actually, in our Old Testaments, to the book of Malachi, where around 400 BC, God promised that someday, quote, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. In other words, one of the very last promises of the whole Old Testament was this picture of the sun rising in the midst of darkness, our darkness. And basically, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying God is about to do here in Jesus, the the sun rising in our darkness. And thinking about that, really, that picture and that use of darkness is, is so helpful for you and me. Because again, in almost summarizing really most of what we've seen this morning, think about it. What does darkness represent? Darkness, well, really, two things, right? Two things, and Everyone in here knows this. Two things. Because first, darkness represents sin and brokenness and evil and death, right? And we know that. We're all dark in that way. We all have darkness in our hearts and lives. And there's darkness in our world. But not only that, but darkness, very interestingly, can also represent just being in confusion and having a lack of guidance as well. And and, and in fact, I think that we see that here with this idea that we're sitting in darkness. We don't know where to go. Because when that's the idea of darkness, the picture not only is, well, not only are we sinful, but also, again, we don't know where to go. Like being in a dark room without light. You don't know where things are. You don't know what step to take. You don't know how to get out. You can't. And so it is for us. We're sinful and we're lost in our darkness. But here comes God. Here comes Jesus. And he's the Savior who forgives us, church, meaning light has shone in the midst of our darkness of our sin. We have forgiveness if you trust in Jesus. You are totally okay now and forever. But but that's not even it. Because then also the living God becomes our light who, as this verse says, guides our feet into the way of peace. 
Meaning he's not just the light that forgives our darkness, but he's the light that guides us. And we happily follow him. In church, really, that's, that's Jesus. Or better said, that's what God was doing in Jesus 2,000 years ago, and he still is. And that means to, to finally make all of that personal and practical for each one of us sitting in here this Christmas Eve morning. That means, first, that if you do know Jesus, meaning that if you have just personally embraced Jesus as your Lord and God and Savior and friend, then you should right now just happily remember and be encouraged that the, that the same Jesus who entered our world 2,000 years ago, he is still alive. He's still your Savior who is so for you, and he's the one who guides your life. So follow him. He, he's got you. <laughs> or, on the other hand, second though, if you're here, and you realize that you personally don't know Jesus, haven't really trusted genuinely in Jesus, then I do pray that maybe for the first time in your life, this Christmas Eve morning of 2023, you might consider just really believing this and trusting in Jesus and having a personal relationship with him for the first time in your life. And why? Well, because one last time, this is what happened. This is true. Literally, the turning point of history happened 2,000 years ago when God did this. God visited this world from on high to shine brightly into your and my darkness to be our Savior and our King. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to sing another hymn together. Let's pray.